Chapter 22 of The Three Mollimongers by Walter de la Mer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Three Mollimongers by Walter de la Mer. Chapter 22. When at last day streamed in silver across the peaks, the storm had spent itself, but Nod did not stir nor draw near to the fire to drink of the hot pepper water the travellers had brewed against the cold. Thumb came at last and stooped over him. Get up now, Umanada, little brother, and do not mope and sulk any more. I was angry because I was afraid. How should we have gone a day in safety without Nizanella and his wonderstone? Come nearer to the fire and dry your sodden sheep's coat. Nod crept forlornly to the fire and sat there shivering. He could not eat. He crouched low on his heels, nor paid any heed to what was said or done around him. And presently he fell into a cold, uneasy sleep, full of dreadful dreams and voices. When he awoke, he peered sullenly out of his jacket and saw Gibba with three of the five Munamulgars that had been taken with him sitting hunched up round the fire. They had come back bruised and bedraggled and torn with thorns. One of them, stumbling in the gloom on the green rocks, had fallen headlong into the cataract and had not been seen again, and one had been pounded on and carried off by some unknown beast, while they were hobbling back in the torchless darkness towards the beacon above the cataract. There was no way beyond the ravine. All was dense, low forest, rocks and thorns, and pouring waterways and the travellers knew not what to be doing. Nod could not bear to look at them, nor listen to their lisping, mournful voices. He covered up his face again, weary of the journey of the dream of Tishner's valleys, weary of his brothers, of the very daylight, but weariest of himself. After long palaver, Gibba came shuffling over to him and sat down beside him. Is the mule of Mulgar ill, that he sits alone hiding his eyes, he said? Nod shook his head. I am in my second sleep, Mountain Mulgar. A little frost has cankered my bones. It is the harp Nod hears, Nod Zevera's zoots. Gibba sat with a very solemn look on his grey, scarred face. The Mulla Mulgars say there can be no turning back, Nizanella, and by the way I have come, it is certain that there is no going onward. Then say they, being Mulgars of a race, we must float with the mountain's water into the great cavern and trust our hearts to the fishes. Maybe it will carry us to where every shadow comes at last. Maybe these are the waters of the fountains of Assasimon. I see no boat, yapped Nod scornfully. The only boat my brothers ever floated in was an old Gunga's Omar Nugga's Bowberry that now is a neat Obiamunza for Cockadrillo's eggs. Already my people are gathering branches, said Gibba to make floating mats or rafts, such as I saw one of the fishing mulgars squatting on while he dangled his tail for fish bait. Comfort your weary bones, then, Angaranus. Tishner, who guards you. Tishner, whose prince you are. Tishner, who feasted with uts like me on fruits of sleeping time, will not forsake us now. Nod turned cold and trembling, as if to tell this solemn man of the mountains that his wonderstone was gone, but he swallowed his spittle and was ashamed. 
so he rose up and listlessly hobbled after him to where the rest of the travellers were toiling to gather branches for their rafts the storm had snapped and stripped off many branches from the trees these the travellers dragged down to the water others they hauled down with column ropes and some smaller saplings they charred through with fire at the root when they had heaped together a big pile of bows and samarak column and all kinds of greenery gibba and thumb bound them clumsily one by one together letting them float out onto the water until the raft was large and buoyant enough to bear two or three mulgars with their bags for one great raft that would have carried them all in safety would have been too unwieldy to enter the mouth of the cavern besides being harder for these ignorant sailors to navigate the torrent flowed swiftly into the cavern and if but two or three sailed in together fortune might drown or lose many in the dark windings of the mountain water but one or two at least might escape they toiled until evening by which time four strong green rafts bobbed side by side at their mooring ropes on the water then tired out sore and blistered with their day's labors the travellers heaped up a great watch fire once more and supped merrily together since it might be for many of them for the last time nor did the mountain mulgars raise their drone for their kinsfolk beneath them cataract wishing to keep a brave heart for the dangers before them only nod sat gloomily and downcast waiting impatiently till all should be lying fast asleep one by one the outwearied travellers laid themselves down with the palms of their feet towards the fire nod heard the calling of the beasts in the ravine and ever and again from far up the mountainside broke out the long hungry howl of the little wolves only nod and the mountain mulgar whose turn it was to keep watch were now awake he was a queer old mulgar blind of one eye but he could stand wide awake for hours mumbling in his mouth a shaving of their blue cheese rind and when he had turned his back for a moment on the fire nod wriggled softly away and hobbling off into the forest soon reached the waterside he crept forward under the gigantic dragon tree and down the steep bank to the little creek where he had first heard the singing of the water midden all was shadowy and still only the dark water murmured in its stony channel and the faint night wind rustled in the sedge nod leaned on his belly over the water and gazing into it called as softly and clearly as his harsh voice could water midden water midden here i am Umanada, come as you bade me. No one answered. He stooped lower and called again. It is me, the Mullamulgar, child of Tishner, who trusted to you his wonderstone, beautiful midden. Nod, who believed in you, calls your friend, the sorrowful Nod. Sing, Mullamulgar, croaked a scornful sedgebird. The princess loves sweet music. A lean fish of the changing colors of a cherry swam softly to the glimmering surface and stared at Nod tell me jacket of loveliness whispered nod where is thy mistress that she does not answer me the fish stared solemnly on a wavering fin brother said nod and let fall a bunch of pseudoberries into the stream the fish leapt into the water and caught the little fruit in its thin curved teeth and nibbled greedily till all was gone whereupon staring solemnly at nod once more he let the leaves and stalk float onward with the stream then with the flash and flicker of tail dived down and down and was gone. All again was silent. 
Only the blazing stars and the shadowy phantoms of the distant firelight moved on the water. Oh, Tishner, muttered the little mugger to himself, help once this wretched nod. Suddenly, as he watched, as if it were the amber or ivory beam of a lantern in the water, he saw a pale brightness ascending, and all in the moment the water maiden was there, rocking on the dark green water beneath the arching sedge. But her hands, when Nod looked to see, were empty, floating like rose leaves open to the water. But he spoke gently, for he could not look into her beautiful wild face, and her eyes that were like the forest for darkness, and the moonlit mountains of Tishner for loveliness, and still be angry nor even sad. Tell me, O water midden, where is my wonderstone? he said. The water midden smoothed slowly back her gold locks. You told me false, Mulla Mulgar, she answered. All day long have I been sitting, rubbing, rubbing with my small tired thumb, but no magic has answered. It is but a common water pebble, roughened into the beast's shapes. It means nothing, and I am wary. And Nod guessed she had been rubbing the water stone craft to cudgel, and not as the magic went, some Awiza, right to left. If it is but a water pebble, give it back to me then, Midden, for it was my mother who gave it to me. But the Midden smiled with her red lips. You did deceive me then, Mullamulgar, so that you might seem strange and wonderful, and far above the other horse-voiced travelers, and beloved of Tishner? You may deceive me again, perhaps. I think I will not give you back your stone. Perhaps, too, she said, throwing back her tiny chin, so that her face lay like a flower in leaves of gold. Perhaps I rubbed not wisely. You shall tell me how. Show me, then, my wonderstone. I am tired out for want of sleep, and long no more for Tishner's fountains. Then the minnen floated out into the middle of the stream, and with one light hand kept herself in front of Nod, her narrow shoulders slowly twirling the while in the faintly rosied starlight. She took with the other a long, thick strand of her hair, unwinding it slowly, presently out of it let fall into her palm the angry, flaming wonderstone. See, Mullamulgar, here is your wonderstone. Now in patience tell me how to make magic. And Nod said softly, Float but a span nearer to me, Midden, a span and just half a span. And the waterman and drew in a little, still softly twirling. Oh, but just a thumbnail nearer, said Nod. Laughing, she floated in closer yet, till her beautiful eyes were looking up into his bony and wrinkled face. Then with a sudden spring, he thrust his hand deep into the silken mesh of her hair and held tight. She moved not a finger. She still looked, laughing up. Listen, listen, Midden, he said. I will not harm you. I could not harm you, beautiful one. Though you never gave me back my wonderstone again, and I wandered forsaken till I died of hunger in the forest. What use is the stone to you now? Tishner is angry. See how wildly it burns and sulks? Give it then into my hand, and I promise, not a promise, Midden, fading in one evening, I will give you any one thing else, whatever it is you ask. And the waterman and looked up at him, unfrightened, and saw the truth and kindness in his eyes. Be not angry with me, little brother, she answered. I do not want to pretend with you, sorrowful Nizanella. And she dropped the waterstone into his outstretched hand. Tears sprang up into Nod's tired aching eyes. He smoothed softly with his hairy fingers the golden strands floating in the ice-cold water. Till I die, O oh beautiful one, he said. I will not forget you. Tell me your wish. Then the water midden looked long and gravely at him, of darkling eyes. She put out her hand and touched his. 
This shall be my sorrowful wish, little Mulgar. It is that when you and your brothers come at last to the kingdom of Assassinon and the valleys of Tishner, you will not forget me. Omitted, not answered. It need no asking that. It may be we shall never reach the valleys. For now we must plunge into the water cavern on our floating rafts, and all is haste and danger. But I mind no danger, Domidon. The Mullamulgar, my father Salem, chose to wander, and not to sit fat and idle with the princess. So too would I. Tell me a harder wish. Ask anything, Watermidden, and my Wonderstone shall give it to you. And the Watermidden gazed sorrowfully into his face. That is all I ask, Mullamulgar, she repeated softly, that you will not forget me. I fear the Wonderstone. All day it has been crinkling and burning in my hair. All that I ask, I ask only of you. So Nod stooped once more over that gold and beauty, and he promised the Watermidden. And she drew out a slender fine strand of hair, and cut it through with the sharp edge of a little shell, and she wound it seven times round Nod's left wrist. There, she said, that will bid you remember me when you come to the end. Have no fear of the waters, Nizanella. My people will watch over you. And Nod could not think what in his turn to give the watermidden for remembrance and a keepsake. So we gave her a battle silver groat with that hole in it, and hung it upon a slender shred of column round her neck, and he tore off also one of the five out of his nine ivory buttons that still clung to his coat and gave her that too. And if my brothers stay here one day more, come in the darkness, O watermidden, I shall not sleep for thinking of you. And he said good-bye to her, kneeling above the dark water. But long after he had safely wrapped his wonderstone in the blood-stained leaf from Battle's little book again, he had huddled himself down behind the slumbering travelers. He still seemed to hear the forlorn singing of the watermidden, and in his eyes her small face haunted amid the darkness of his dreams. All the next morning the travelers slaved to their rafts. They made them narrow and buoyant and very strong, for they knew not what might lie beyond the mouth of the cavern. And now the sun shone down so fiercely that the mulgars, climbing, hacking, dragging at the branches, and moiling to and fro betwixt forest and water, teased by flies and stinging ants, hardly knew what to do for the heat. Dumb and Thimble stripped off the few rags left of their red jackets, and worked in their skins with better comfort. And they laughed at Nod for sweating on in his wool. Look, Thumb, laughed Thimble, peering out from under a tower of granary. The little prince is so vain of his tattered old sheep's jacket that he won't walk in his bear an instant. Yet he is so hot he can scarcely breathe. Nod made no answer, but worked stoidly on, bunched up in his hot jacket, because he feared if he went bare his brothers would see the thin strand of bright hair above his wrist, and mock at the midden. When the sun was at noon and the Mulgars had finished the building of their rafts, they lay merrily bobbing in a long string moored to an olaconda on the swift-running water. They tied up bundles of nuts and old no-nos, roots and pepper-pods, and scores of torches, and bound these down securely to the smallest of the rafts. Then, wearied out, with sting-swollen chops and bleeding hands, they raised their shadow blankets, having bound up their heads with cool leaves, all lay down besides the embers of their last night's fire for the glare. There were now seventeen travelers, and they had built nine light rafts, two mulgars for every raft except two, one of which was wide enough to float in comfort three of the lighter mulgars, who weighed scarce more than the mirmuts of their best of times. The other and least was for their bundles and torches and all the stuff as they needed, over and above what each mulgar carried for himself. 
in the full and stillness of afternoon they ate their last meal this side of arakaboa and beat out their fire a sprinkle of hail fell hopping on their heads as they stood in the sunshine making ready to put off it seemed as if there would never come an end to their labor and many a strange face stared down on them from their brooding galleries of the forest End of chapter 22